Hello and welcome to the Education Marketer Podcast. I think everyone who subscribes to my newsletter knows that I'm a Nintendo fan, but it's rare I get to align that interest with the needs of higher education. However, today I do. And I'm joined by Paul Napleton, Head of Digital and Marketing Automation at UEA, to discuss what universities can learn from Super Mario. Quick note, the audio in this episode isn't that great. I had an issue with my mic in the last few recording sessions and I've only just noticed. So know this is a temporary issue and I'll fix it in future episodes. Let's get on with the show. Nintendo as a company have got to be one of the most innovative companies ever because they, you know, they started off as like a, was like a playing card company and, or or they, they, they made, they just progressed and evolved and look at all their consoles. I mean, they often they often aim high, and sometimes they 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 hit, and sometimes they miss. Um, you know, for every Wii U, there's there's a Switch, or you know, for, <laughs> you know, so for every Virtual Boy, there's a there's a Super Nintendo. So, I think in, an incredible culture of innovation, which I think has always been reflected in some of the products that they produce, but also the kind of the IP that they own and they develop, and they've developed a, an incredible following, a loyal brand following. Um, despite being, you know, quite an old company now, really, in valid video games terms. Let's pick up on that idea of innovation reinventing themselves every time, because I think that's a, a good angle. And if you look at the character of, of Mario, for instance, you've had a, a dude who started out like hitting blocks and, and saving a, a princess. And now we've got the same character, but Princess Peach is alongside him. And similarly, he's transforming into an elephant and he's fighting moving castles it's just completely different to how it was when it started out looking at higher eds um, we're a bit more incremental in our change and we have gradual improvement i don't know if there's anything wrong with that but sometimes in order to reach a new audience you have to essentially create a, a new category and do things very differently to make that noise so do you think that in the future considering like the the cycle for change is getting condensed and smaller. We expect things to transform a lot more quickly now than we have done in the past. Do you think there's a bit of scope there in higher ed to reconsider how we we do, we do things, how we deliver courses, the sort of stuff we're covering? Yeah. What's your thought on that? How can we rise above the noise? I mean, it's a great, great point. And, you know, my, my background's more um, kind of commercial, kind of big brands. So I'm kind of been in higher education for about three years now, and I can certainly see the differences coming from um, that kind of sector in, into higher education. Um, I think what's what's mostly different is that true sense of purpose. There's a real genuine sense of purpose in higher education. That's what attracts me to the sector. And I think also the sheer plurality of audiences. You don't just have the students to consider. Often, if you're thinking about a university, it's a bit like a town sometimes rather than just a business and you have the you've got to think about research you've got to think about news you've got to think about um all the different influences and stakeholders that um that make up you can think of your alumni your existing students prospects so um in that sense it's really vital for higher education to, to think about those audiences and how you can make the university um relevant and evolve your content and and your your channels to meet those audiences in the same way that, as you say, Nintendo kind of broadened out and expanded the classic video gaming audience to include grandparents um, playing on their Wii's on the most basic of games, it expanded the, the market. And yet they still also produced absolutely kind of banging games like the Legend of Zelda games or they, they the Metroid games, they, the Mario games all catered for 
both the hardcore and that expanded audience. And so it's similar with um, higher education. I think we have a priority of audiences and the, the pande pandemic was a, was a dark time for everyone, but you know, the, it did accelerate the pace of change from a digital perspective, not just in, a, in, in our sector, but across all sectors. So it accelerated the need to consider different ways to deliver uh, courses, um, lectures, how to engage with students, how to put on vir virtual open days and applicant days, that kind of thing. So um, I think the horse is definitely kind of shut out of the barn now. You can't just close it and go back to the way, the way that it was. So I think we need to really embrace that acceleration of trying out new things and being braver with having a bit of a test and learn um, kind of budget and a growth mindset something I really believe in, having a growth mindset, try new things, always try and find new and improved ways to delighting your audiences. It won't always work, but you're going to learn from that and you, you can optimise it going forward. And that's something that Nintendo do all the time. I've seen this similarities in how we consider audiences and how, that, how the pandemic really changed that. So before pandemic, it, it, I saw a lot of universities really majoring on brand level campaigns. Um, so they talk about the university uh, a macro level leads would come in and then the funnel does its thing what i see now is much more attention being given to like niche offers in terms of content so um, a school might be running a campaign you know in the states schools are who run like twitch channels and they've got a gaming portfolio they build mm -hmm. up the audience but they the, the key difference is that they they recognize they get more traction by putting the flag in the ground and understanding a key audience set and providing a content channel for them than they do by just spending a lot of money on top of the funnel, casting the net extremely wide and then hoping people convert further down the line. So just like Nintendo has those kind of key audience demographics that it hits and it refines its strategy for each of those, some of the most successful university content that campaigns I'm seeing do exactly the same. And I think it's because we now have higher expectations for how personalized content is and the way we consume it. The tolerance uh, for something that isn't personalized and directly related to, to what you want to receive is, is going down. So, yeah, I think there's quite a bit of a parallel uh, between that, those two things, right? Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's like Mario with his new suit. You mentioned about like, the elephant Mario is like bear suit Mario and all the, all the kind of classic suits. There's bubble Mario now in the new um, Mario Wonder game. But it's Mario would choose the right suit to deliver the, the kind of to achieve the level that he wants to do to, to get those uh, to get those stars and, and rescue the princess <laughs> and so on. So I think it's similar to what we're trying to do with kind of higher education marketing. It's about increasingly trying to get the right message to the right person at the right time via yeah. the right channel and the only way you're going to do that is by having a connected digital ecosystem connecting all of your touch yeah. points up using a central crm or, or customer data platform to kind of really have that have that as your kind of single version of the truth you've got to try and have that 360 view of all of your constituents and yeah. that's how you can begin to deliver hyper personalization at scale and then you'll buy being really transparent with with those constituents those different audiences how you're going to use that data you can build that trust and you can then start building that personalization and that sense of community over time which is only going to benefit audiences there's actually a lot to be said too for sort of doing less i think everyone's doing more 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 all channels everything actually there's a lot of argument to be saying for actually do you focus increasingly on as you say certain audiences for certain channels actually trying to do trying to excel on certain channels rather than trying to do a little bit across everything 
because then you're not standing out and then you're not really building that connection with your audiences. It, it, it's an interesting time. And I think the danger is to trying to do everything and to run around slightly. I feel bad for social teams, just picking up on your, your last point. Um, all we seem to do is add new channels to, to their remit. Yeah. And the headcount very rarely increases. In fact, like most social teams in universities, if they even have one, it's between like one and, and three people. And yet they have to manage seven plus channels. And there's a great piece of research by GWI that looks at the unique audience you can connect with depending on the number of channels you're on. And it turns out if you're on two channels, um, you'll hit the same unique audience as you would seven plus because people have this Swiss army knife approach to social media, right? They don't just exclusively use one app. If they're on one, they're on another mm. On two, actually that's fine. They're still hitting the same number of people. So I think there's a bit of a, a leaf we can take out of even like the biggest creators books. You'll notice people who are like really big in the creator economy. They, they major on one channel. They very rarely have more than a handful of channels. Mm. The more we, we add in complexity into the, um, uh, in, into the mix, then I think there's a, we, we can look to sort of technology like AI to help us. So I often sort of say that having, um, using AI is like having an extra member or two of your team, because it can do some of that heavy lifting for you and it can free up your, your people to focus on some of the added value side of digital transformation. So it's doing some of the monotony and it's pulling out the insights that you might not have had the chance to, to, to do. It's about leaning into what makes technology um, really useful, particularly generative AI at the moment. And then that can be quite empowering for you to find new ways to do things. One of the secret sources of Nintendo is this bridge they've built between um, their youngest audiences and their, their parents. So mm. we're a unique time in Nintendo's life where the young people who grew up playing those early consoles, N64, Super Nintendo, have now entered the world as adults and they're having their own kids. And we have this wonderful circle, which most brands would sacrifice so much to get, of a parent introducing a child to a brand and a console and by proxy, a brand new uh, line of products. We are starting to see similar in higher eds with millennials, right? So we have a whole generation who went to university on mass and now they are having kids, they've had kids and they're getting to an age where they're starting to consider university choices and have their parents advising them and sharing their own experiences. We've always spent attention on parent audience. We know it's important, but do you think the expectations have changed? What's the, the strategy or the tactics for, for dealing with that shift? Yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting because if I think back to when I was a, a teenager making the decision, your parents going to have a view, but you kind of almost want to rebel and, and maybe not always consider it, but we know it, it is a factor. So uh, in the same way that maybe kids today don't want to play the games that your parents play, but at the same time, clever IP like like Mario can, can kind of transcend. And um, if you just think of the, the Mario movie, for example, that, 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 was very cleverly aimed at the bright, colourful kind of young, younger kids market, but also it was packed full of Easter eggs and loads of nostalgia elements, whether it was the little music cues or the, the sort of familiar characters that, that you've played um, across different kind of IP like Mario Kart or Luigi's Mansion and so on. So it kind of, it, it knew that it had to, um, in its communications and in its, in its delivery, it had to kind of cater to these different audiences. And then you could experience that together. 
And I think that's where HE need to kind of adopt a similar formula because, you know, whether it's through alumni, that's increasingly important to try to, um, with lifelong learning and continuous improvement in mind as well to kind of stay close to your alumni. And that's again, through data and keeping that relationships going. A lot of the American universities are, are really advanced with, with that, that side of things. But I think when it comes to higher education as a decision-making process can be a bit more aligned to like a business to business um, decision-making process. There's lots of stakeholders, there's lots of stages. We kind of can lose the, the students at some stages and undergraduate, and then we can gain them again and we have to get close. So it's, it's quite unusual. So I think what you have to try and do is um, lean into that nostalgia element, particularly with the kind of the, the parent side of things, and then actually really focus on that personalization with the student themselves. Um, mm -hmm to actually make sure that this is a place where they can find their people, that they can find their belonging. And that, that will be a really individual level. At the same time, you're, you're communicating and engaging with, with teachers and with, um, with kind of parents and, and key stakeholders that can help them influence that decision. And to create events where they can celebrate and enjoy together. One of the great things about the Mario movie and even the Barbie movie early in the summer was because it, it transcended just being a two hour film it became an event. It, it, it was a community thing. People were dressing up. People were having parties. They were they were celebrating it. They were watching the Mario movie and going home and playing Mario Kart on the Switch. You know, they were buying the toys. And so that's the sort of thing that I think we can, our education institutions need to think about, creating those, those open days, those events, those special occasions where you can experience it together, as well as then having the, the focus on the individual. That togetherness is... I definitely sense it as well. I know you alluded to earlier, but American universities, they, they seem to have something different going on in terms of community. And I think craze is the wrong word, but they're much more connected to those university brands and families yeah. are as well. They have this deeper sense of um, nostalgia and, and, and connection. And I think a lot of that is to do with the way that they organize their open houses, uh, open days, whatever they, they refer to them, I think they call them open houses. Mm. Um, but, but quite often there are separate family days. And that sounds quite strange, like a British context. I mean, why would you want to go yeah. to university with your, your, your parents and have a family day? But it, it seems like they actually design a track to engage parents, not individually, but actually with their, their child, in addition to all the other stuff they do, like applicant days and all those sort of things. There is a space that sort of stuff and i remember reading a report recently i can't remember who the publisher was but they highlighted that i think it was the second most in demand type of activity was those those family orientated events and we don't really do that in the uk no um, you have like separate tracks don't we so is there maybe potential yeah. for a uk audience to learn from that I, definitely i think there's there's definitely lots of things that we can learn um from that i think there, there, there may be a sort of a classic british cynicism that that might come into into play perhaps explaining some cultural differences perhaps across the pond but at the same time i think we should look at new ways of doing things we, we should be brave and wanting to innovate try something different you'll certainly stand out and yeah. you know that, that that's a criticism i have of of a lot of higher education kind of creative sometimes is that it, it can all seem a bit homogenous and there's when you do find something that really stands out with clever creative or you know clever media buying or embracing technology then, then it really does stand out there might be a, a challenge for scale and i recognize that i mean if you look at like, the barbie movie um you you'd literally walk into like a store that was completely unconnected to Barbie and there would be some sort of tie-in, right? I mean, I remember yeah. going into Frankie's and Benny's and everyone was wearing like Barbie hats and it was just <laughs> completely yeah. everywhere. I, you couldn't escape it. 
And that's very hard to do at a national level, right? I'm not saying a university could do that, but certainly in like your local town, for instance, you can do a, a certain element of takeover. I think of a university um, in, in Scotland, I think it's Edinburgh Napier. And every year when their, their graduates are, are leaving the university, they run huge outdoor um, campaigns with graduate names and announcing to the city that their graduates are now open for work, essentially, right? So almost using that ad space as a utility, thinking a bit differently. Mm. And last year, they even took over a pub and they stuck the university logo designed like a pub sort of board, right? On front of this, yeah. this pub, just outside the graduation venue. And it's things like that that are a little bit daring, a little bit yeah. out there. Because like, if you put your university name on the side of a pub, there's a risk that you could have a load of drunk students coming out <laughs> of it, everywhere. Yeah. But that gets people talking. I'm talking about it now, and the city talks yeah. about it at the festival every year. Do you think that's the sort of thing that universities should be exploring? Absolutely. I, 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 on a similar note, I remember uh, in the run up to the Mario launch in the in the summer. I think it was uh, maybe in Manchester or somewhere. There was like a an advertising, uh, a bit like a pipe, and then they put like a Mario on top of it, so it looked like it was disappearing down the pipe. And again, it stands out. And you're talking about it months later. So there's definitely a lot to talk about with with viability and kind of being brave, trying something different from an institution's perspective, and. You know that that can manifest itself in a number of different ways one of the one of the big things i think is really important is to have that kind of single uh creative thread that runs across all of your touch points because mm. if a students are hearing something on 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 TikTok or seeing something and then they're coming to your your events and then they're getting crm from you that doesn't quite match up or the website's different then you're going to lose people just students kind of now that they, they expect the kind of netflix monzo bank amazon type experiences where it's all connected and data's at the heart of it so um at any point if we cut that thread then it jars and i think you can be creative but then you've got to try and follow that that pattern through so it becomes part of your culture and you always wanted to try and deliver on that and it's not just a stunt it becomes just what you stand for and and, and what you believe yeah we have a habit of thinking about those experiences in terms of boxes and, and just checking off different items so you, you might have an idea and then you think okay what does the ads look like and you do the digital thing but the idea can extend into in person it can extend into all kinds of different media um and it means yes you you have a central idea but you can still get the scale by rethinking and repurposing it for all those different channels which you connect with an audience and that yeah. gives you that that lift overall and that's when people start noticing recognizing and maybe if you've done it right even starting to talk about you and hitting that word of mouth which is a prime area right let's have a, a, a we think here about the power of nintendo characters now you've already said that mario is the most recognized character in the world i think statistically that is true i don't think you could really walk up to someone and say oh, who's super mario they wouldn't know what you're talking about <laughs> proper Proper recognised. I think more recognised yeah. than Coke. I think there's a study done points, which is it's just crazy. So there's a few other brands looking at how they can take characters like that and implement them as part of what they they do. A few things that seem to my mind is uh, Duolingo with its owl, this sort of owl that's a bit unhinged and makes you kind of learn a language in a new way. And also even more dry organizations like insurers, like State Farm in the US, they have a, a TikTok character, not a corporate TikTok account, but a, an account built around um, a, a dude called Jake from State Farm. 
who happens to just do good deeds in the neighborhood, but they cut across all the different insurance verticals. Funny that, right? Yeah. So there's definitely a, a power to having individuals and characters represent your brand. We dip our toe in the water in this in higher ed. We're no stranger to ambassadors and use generated content, but we very rarely have faces of the organization, people we really get behind for the duration of their studies, like building up a student ambassador, or similarly, we don't often consistently have academics out in front evangelizing the school courses, whatever it is. I think this is going to change over the next few years as brands lose their strength as just being logos in these faces organizations and we shift more into the personal have you started to see that shift in, in where you work um is this something that will be a slower burn or do you think it's gonna be a bit of a hard pivot over the next six months to a year i think it's a, i think it's going to be increasingly a hard pivot I, I think if you look at where google are introducing google perspectives and that's going to fundamentally change search in terms of how it's putting more of a of, of a focus on individuals and experts and the one thing that universities uh, are not short of is is experts you know we, we have got incredible academics we've got brilliant researchers we we've got students who are going to change the world and I think that's the one thing that we have to lead into uh, and really take advantage of in the next kind of coming months and years I think I'm really excited by that so I think as well the the growth continued growth of peer-to-peer -peer marketing is is going to be um, exponential for, for for universities to really get hold of. We're doing a lot of great stuff with Unibuddy and leaning into kind of how AI can help us there as well um, in terms of matching the right student up with the right person. Speak to one of our students. So I think that's what's um, that's what's great. So I think we definitely will see a bit of pivot in in my opinion, and I think it's it's right to do that. And whether it's like a, a mascot and you kind of maybe the metaverse does take off, I don't know if it's going to be quite as literal as Mark Zuckerberg wants or whether it just becomes something where your your, your data kind of and your experiences can live on once you've joined the university for example there's something that we can experiment with in terms of if you attend an open day for example maybe you get a, a little token or you get a kind of an avatar type thing that once you're joined and all of your you're creating your communities and your friends maybe you get an exclusive virtual sweatshirt or there's little mascots and ideas that that sound a bit out there but actually that this is just where this generation's going where the technology's going and there's ways that you can bring technology to life through things like mascots through things like that sense of gamification or, or community there's a, a big pivot to the metaverse but i don't think it's in the way that people expected the one that always comes to my mind is roblox roblox yeah. is this monster in the digital gaming space but it doesn't get the the limelight that it deserves there's more daily active users than TikTok. There's more users than TikTok. And the thing that makes it remarkable is that essentially the audience using Roblox is our recruitment pipeline for the next 10 years. They're very young children, young teens. Mm. So in terms of activating experiences and looking at the metaverse, I think gaming or large like gaming communities is probably where we want to be. But this isn't a a typical channel that that we think of because it's very hard um you can't just yeah. drop a bunch of ads into roblox and then measure it like you do on programmatic networks social media networks you have to design experiences that people enjoy playing there's a few universities that have started tapping into this but they're niche schools um there's a fashion institute and i'll chuck the link in the show notes 
but they have started a short course in designing digital fashion. And then you've got the other end of the spectrum where you have big commercial brands like Nike uh, building out play parks like Nike World in Roblox, completely focused on mm. helping users enjoy that experience. And then often digital products in that, but completely different play. Um, but a hugely un untapped area for a lot of brands. So if you wanted to cut through noise and break out in the space where your audience are, I think these gaming worlds is probably like right for the picking, right? Oh, totally. I mean, it's really interesting because unless you're a gamer yourself, you, you don't realize that the gaming industry is bigger than Hollywood and it's bigger than TV. And it, 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 it's just huge, but it can almost seem transparent. And and I think that's the thing. So we in any job, you need to think about your audience, first and foremost, particularly from a marketing perspective. And actually, if your audience is playing games and one of the great examples of you know, that I can think of is how gaming can really unify and bring people together and that's something that we want to try and harness from a higher education perspective, isn't it? A lot of the work we're doing around building communities, finding your people so that when they land here, they, they've already started establishing friends and communities. Gaming is a great way to, to unify people across the country. It's a great way of bringing people together. So it, it, it's competitive. It, it has loads of kind of benefits and advantages. And if you've grown up with characters like Mario, then why wouldn't you want to try and have an element of that from a an education perspective and if we can tap into that creatively and cleverly from a marketing perspective or from admissions perspective recruitment perspective then i think that could be dynamite for he but you've got to be careful not to make it seem forced or to yeah. it's got to align with your broader values and your kind of your direction of travel but i think for the right kind of creative and the right idea then yeah we should be brave and we should be embracing that because that's what our audiences are are experiencing and and, and, and enjoying it's a complete investment it's a it's not a tactical channel it's a strategic one yeah. you have to build a world and you need the skills and the knowledge of how to uh, make it compelling it's it's a difficult art which is probably why we haven't seen many people diving into it because it's not something you can just dabble in you need people to monitor the community build the community have a roadmap for it it's it's just like having a web team right it's not something you yeah. can just add in you you'd need like a digital world team wouldn't you so yeah, yeah really heavy lift but probably one that will have um exponentially bigger rewards um further down the line i want to tap in a little bit here to the um way that nintendo thinks about its content um we've spoken about mario in all kinds of different angles but one that really stands out for me is the quality of the products um, that are associated with this character. Now, mm. there have been a few duds in the past. Um, there's been some consoles like Philips CDI, where I think it was called Hotel Mario. It's a complete disaster. Mario is missing, which was like Nintendo sort of um, dive into the educational gaming space, which never works out really well, um, does it? But typically, when a Mario game drops, it's exceptional, right? They don't come along very often, but when they do, yeah you're going to buy it, right? Because you know you're going to get a quality product, no matter what the price tag is. But when we think about content in, in higher education, it, it's more about this idea of consistency, volume, frequency. And we alluded to it at the beginning of the um, podcast too, that we're always publishing more and we rate our, our impact by likes, shares, impressions. Mm. And I can't help but think we're reaching a time now where virality, reach, all these sort of things are becoming less important. And it's more about the connection that you have with an audience. 
that's a completely different playbook. And I just wanted to get your take on that. What do you see happening in terms of digital communications? Do you see that we can consistently keep running on this content hamster wheel and keep churning yeah. stuff out? You think the play is is changing? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a concern for burnout. And I I think as well that within our teams, I think we need to still, there's elements where we need to make sure that everyone is comfortable with kind of what the different purposes of, of the channels are for. Because typically, not always, but typically, people are on social because they're bored and, and people who are using search or going on your web or because they, they're, they're busy, they, they, they want to find out. So actually this, the, 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 by churning out content and just thinking, right, well, we can put it on social, we can put it on the website we can, that, that's a trap. And we need to be thinking much more around how do we create content that's leaning into why these people are on these different channels in the first place. So, um, and then being a lot cleverer with how we um, atomize content and how we build it up, the, like the chemistry of, of content marketing, right? How do we repurpose and repackage? Sure. Um, but then how do we create content? And that might be meaning that we, we create only a handful of kind of hero content, a bit like Mario. And then they also then have the kind of the, the hub content so they have a little cartoon series they have you know and then they have the kind of hygiene factor stuff as well so it's a having that pyramid of of content and being being aware of what you're producing and why and to whom like your, your point about burnout is such an important one usually when i consult with teams it's very hard for them to equate the effort that they do and how tired they are essentially with the results that it's it's delivering and i think until we understand that the thing we need to measure probably isn't the, the the content, but actually the affinity and the audience you're building, right? So yeah. what is that audience more likely to do? Are they more likely to convert? Do they make decisions quicker? Do they recommend you to others? You know, questions around the behavioral change in an audience rather than the actual content. There's so much emphasis on content as this asset and this store of value. And I get it. It's because we've been essentially consuming that philosophy for about 10 years but the content is interchangeable right you could have an amazing piece of content but if no one reads it it's not valuable so it's about the actual audience you're building and you might do that like you say in different ways you have your hero your hub and your hygiene but actually understanding what those big ticket items are those lightning strikes if you like and how yeah. they disseminate across that's I think that's where the impact's going to be going forward. We, we can't just keep drip feeding stuff out and responding to individual requests. I, I think it just dilutes the, the overall impact we can have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where kind of AI can really help us as well. So um, I, I'm very keen on AI and automation as a transformative force for good. I think we have to be aware of the kind of the halo and the horns of, of AI and or the Bowser and the peaches of, of, of kind of where this, this can kind of land. You've got to think about the ethics. You've got to think about the transparency, the inclusivity, the, the kind of responsibility that you need to bring in with AI. But I think it could be really empowering to potentially look at ways in which you can bring in personalization. I think it can also find the insights that maybe you're just a bit time poor to be able to do to go right well is this the content we should be doing or should it be kind of targeted to certain people or can we hyper personalize it can we adapt it how can we what, what content should we be creating and the insight that we're gaining from ai it's helping us spot trends that we might never have seen before how could we use this content not just from a marketing perspective but from a student services perspective or from an academic support perspective so from content creation perspective ai is a potentially useful tool for you to get your people to be focusing on different types of content so i think that's where it's it could be exciting so rather than content overload 
you're shifting into a different sort of era of, of content creation. Yeah, you remove that real hygiene base level stuff and your AI assistant, which essentially has, I think it's 10 times the IQ of Einstein, right? You have to give it the right questions and prompts yeah. to make it work, but it's like having like super powerful assistant in your pocket. So things like research or whatever it was in the past, it took up a lot of your chunk of your time. You can have the AI just take care of that and you can focus on the creativity angle. Yeah. Um, which at the moment is something humans can do, but who knows where that's going to go in the next I mean, five years. Like. Even Mario needs this kind of power up mushrooms, right? So the, the <laughs> AI is like ours for HE. Yeah, that's right. Um, I want to bring this right. So you saw the Mario movie in the in the summer. I did as well. I watched it on streaming because I just couldn't get the time in. <laughs> away, away from the child long enough to get in there. He's a little bit young to take at the moment, which is something yeah. it's weird saying that, but this is how it is. So my, my sort of favorite part in this, in this film, something you alluded to earlier, is all the little micro references. I've seen YouTube videos since that has a counter in the top left and every time there's a reference, it ticks <laughs> up. It's yeah. hundreds, I, I miss yeah. so many. And I think one of the things we can really take from this is just thinking about those, those talking points and those details, spending time crafting experiences so they are a little bit different and there is something you can chat about with your your family and your, your friends after consuming them but you know you saw the, the film as well i think you saw it on the big screen is there anything yeah. you picked up that you, know, you think i should uh, pay close attention to i yeah i my son dragged me to it twice so we we absolutely loved it i think um <laughs> Drags, what i thought yeah, yeah well yeah i i just had to go along too um no, I, I thought it was a fantastic film. And I thought what was really interesting is that kind of before the film came out, there was a bit of a kind of classic online backlash against the voice of, of Chris Pratt, you know? So yeah. um, I yeah. think that's that, that it managed to get around that really quickly because the film was just fun and it was engaging and they, they could see what they were trying to do with it and, and appeal to all these different kind of audiences. But the, the thing that really stood out for me was the sort of the unexpected gems. So... The, the virability of Jack Black singing his little Peaches song. Kids were singing it in the playground. People were singing it at the uh, at work and mm. just having some fun with it. And that gained so much extra PR and value for them. Mm. And again, thinking, getting a celebrity or an ambassador to sometimes do something, a moment of creative magic is what will stand out and will, will help you. But I think more than that, there hasn't there haven't been many Nintendo movies. You know, there's the kind of was it 1993, the classic Bob Hoskins kind of <laughs> movie that was really cheesy, didn't quite work. There haven't been many films like that, so I think it felt fresh and perhaps it felt different to the kind of superhero Marvel kind of fatigue that a lot of yeah. families were kind of having to go and see all the time. So it felt a bit different, even though it's an established IP and. It, it promised family fun and it had little moments that of nostalgia. So as a collective package, I think it was more than a sum of its parts and bringing it home to kind of HE, that's what I think we need to do as a collective. So whether it's through your data and all your different touch points, all of your physical events and online events, we're more than a sum of our parts. And I think we can embrace all of our different audiences and communities by recognizing that. And um, yeah, that, that's one of the key takeaways that I, I, I would, I would take from that film. There's a couple of things I want to pick up with you there, actually. Um, you two, made two excellent points. One was around the superhero fatigue and what replaces that. Um, I read a fantastic article recently that likens our connection with superhero films as a, an epoch of cinema to that of the Western. So there was yeah. a part 
in history where westerns were like that was what you went to see but as a form it's it's gone now or it might be reinvented in like um tarantino films occasionally but the actual mm -hmm. main genre is no longer in, in cinemas i think superhero films are probably coming to the end of that that arc and what replaces them are video game movies and good ones because in the past when you had video game movies a little bit naff didn't quite hit it but if you look at what's performing right now you had mario just blow everyone away fantastic um mm -hmm. we now have five nights at freddy's in entering cinemas which is like a horror game kind of independent publisher um again appealing to like a micro audience is a film that good not so sure but it seems to be doing really well in digital culture circles and now we have, and I want to get your take on this, Nintendo's approach to the new Zelda film. I don't know if you read the yeah. news about this. The emphasis on the fans was that they were, they were hoping it was going to be like an anime in its style. And I can see why. Mm. Of the world. But they seem to go for a live action approach. And I was there when the Mario movie came out and it was live action. And it's quite a cult classic now and it's fun to watch. <laughs> but at the time, people were a bit like, what yeah. is going on here? So, now, what's your take? Do we trust Nintendo because they tend to do the right thing? But what's, I, what's your take on a live-action Zelda? I think they build up a lot of credit with um, with the Mario movie. But I think what people have to remember as well is they 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 didn't just create that on their own. They work with Illumination. They they work with a kind of an animator that was proven with like Despicable Me and and those guys. So they 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 created a, a unique look for for the Mario movie that was built on a on a model of success so I'm, I'm sure that they'll find a way to make Zelda be stand out a little bit because it probably does skew a little bit different from the classic Mario audience and, and the nostalgia yeah. and everything is still very apparent with with Zelda I think what's interesting though is if you think of like the Mario games the Zelda games have evolved from the little top-down exploration dungeons all the way through to the kind of the beauty of um yeah. you know again the n64 games and mm. ocarina of time and then most recently the breath of the wild and you know that that's the zelda games are some of the best games ever created um yeah. so that's going to be under the spotlight like the mario movie was but i think i think you like that's the great thing about brands sometimes you just have that trust you have that reassurance that you think that they're going to look after their protected assets and i'm sure that they're going to do a good job and it might look and feel a bit different but again they're brave and i'm sure that they'll that they'll smash it paul thanks for coming on today you've given me an excuse to talk about the, the great love <laughs> of my life and i've been a fan of nintendo since i'm five years old so to actually find someone who's successful in their career like you are and actually still a massive nintendo fan at heart it's uh, been very warming for me so thanks for speaking with me today and um no doubt i'll get you on again to talk about the zelda movie when it drops looking forward to it fantastic to talk to you today thank you